Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Dr. Melva Williams, President of Houston Tillotson University, as our guest. When did you begin working in, you know, in, in education and, and when did you know that was your passion? Huh. When did I know education was my passion? Um, I was running from the passion for a long time. <laughs> uh, so the interesting story is that I grew up in a schoolhouse. And interestingly enough, my both of my parents were in education. My dad worked in higher education, retired as a higher education administrator. He was a CFO for a uh, institution for a university and, um, you know, obviously grew up on a college campus uh, in Louisiana and my mom was a school teacher. So obviously education was the family business. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, you know, just not try. And then my sister became a school teacher. So I knew then that there was no way that I was going to be in education. I'm like, that's enough. Um, I think the whole family has it down. However, um, I, I was working in corporate America and was on my um, on the campus of Gramley State University, just visiting and helping out and volunteering. And one of my mentors said, don't you just want to work here? And I'm like, sure, sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> hey, why not? Okay. Yeah. Where do I sign up? Here we yeah, go. Exactly. And uh, it was just, um, that's how it happened. And we connected and I started working in higher education and really just loved it. So who were the mentors that really helped shape your journey? Well, one name that comes into the immediate mind is Dr. Cassie Freeman. Now, Dr. Cassie Freeman is a renowned um, author on higher education. Um, she writes a lot of higher, higher education um, books and talks a lot about college choice. So when working on my dissertation, uh, I cited her often because her work is phenomenal. And interestingly enough, another very cool story is that my dissertation chair uh, was also chaired by Dr. Cassie Freeman. So it was this very unique crosswire of all of our uh, backgrounds coming together. And she and I, Dr. Cassie Freeman, ended up serving as the uh, interim president of the Southern University system and asked me to serve as her chief of staff of the system. And I was the first uh, chief of staff of the Southern University system. And what's unique about that role is that uh, Southern University is the only historically black college system in America. You've probably heard of the UT system and the North Carolina system and other college sure. systems, but um, Southern University is the only HBCU college system. And so I served as chief of staff. So Dr. Cassie Freeman really um, saw something in me that allowed for her to really give me a chance to serve in a super senior leadership position <laughs> uh, in her cabinet. 
So Cassie Freeman is definitely one of those people that I consider a mentor and a friend and someone who has helped me to catapult my career. So let me ask you, so now you've been in the position since August, is that right? Since August, yes. Okay, so what's been the biggest surprise for you over this time? Um, I think the biggest surprise for me has been um, how great the students are, especially here at Houston Tillerson. Uh, I've worked in higher education over 20 years, and this institution has some of the greatest students. I enjoy the fact that they are not only smart and you know, focused on their studies, but they are also some creative individuals. I love the fact that they are um, expanding their thoughts outside of the classroom rigor, but pushing themselves and pushing the boundaries of who they are individually. So I love that. Uh, I love the small knit, knit campus where I get to um, congregate and meet with students all the time. So I would say the biggest surprise coming from a very large institution has been how much uh, I get to interact and uh, really get to know the students. Well, and so you, how, how do you like Austin? I mean, are you able to build business relationships, local relationships? And does UT, I, I know you're an HBCU, but does, does UT come into play as a partner or competitor? Um, listen, you know, I, it's, it's difficult to see, uh, for us, we're in a very unique lane. So I'm, I'm very excited about that and being able to be the only HBCU in Austin. Uh, I absolutely love the city. It is very unique because it is the tech capital now of the world. I mean, people think Silicon Valley, I mean, that's old news. Now it is Austin, Texas. And I like being able to look right out of my window. And from here, I can see Indeed.com. I can see Google. I can see the state capitol. I mean, that's literally in my backyard. I mean, we are located downtown. And the exciting part about that is that our students, our faculty, our staff, we get to interface with some of the top tech companies in the world. The TikTok headquarters are here. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on of every top tech company and just, you know, outside of the tech space, um, you have Tesla that is here. Elon Musk has packed up and he's in the, he's in town. So so it's good to have that that talent here and our students get to interface. So it gives us a unique um, some unique leverage because we can build partnerships that are uh, unlike any other institution because we're nimble enough to do it. Well, I can imagine too, just, you know, making sure that students are career ready, you yeah. know, what better place than being in a, in a, you know, a tech Mecca like Austin. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it has proven to be worthwhile for us. Uh, the partnerships and the connections that we make uh, with the CEOs of these large tech companies, even some of the startup firms, it is just invaluable for students who are interested in being creative, innovative, and going their own way. Uh, this day and age, students are not always interested in going into a company and taking some entry-level job and working their way up the food chain. 
uh, our students are prepared to go in and be able to contribute at high levels. And that is what is exciting. And that is why the CEOs of these companies are clamoring to partner with us. Well, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of the value of education, I mean, I feel like I feel like it's being challenged more so today than ever. You know, the value of education, the value of a degree, um, you know, when a high school student can go out and make a, you know, a high per hour rate or at least, you know, something that has the perception of being a high per hour rate versus jumping into a university setting where, you know, if you read the news, there's always concerns about the student debt and and, and what, do you, what do you make of that? And what do you tell students and parents about the value of, of a degree and also going to an HBCU? Yeah. Um, so I look at it this way. Uh, the reality is what we do know is that everybody is not going to college. However, what we also know is that we don't want any of our friends and families not to go to college. You know, we don't want to be the ones that, that um, decide that our loved one is not the one that attempts to go and 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 right. tries their crack at the bat right we're thinking yeah college isn't for everybody but not my kid you know we're thinking right. those other bodies right. right as long as it's somebody else right. yeah i mean and, and that's yeah. and that's so true right i mean that is so true um so although the conversations are surrounding is the value of it it's also you know, the, the value of, you know, not having it. What do you lose by, you know, the risk of not having a degree? I've never heard anyone say, you know, I've gone to college and boy, I got, you know, I was completely, you know, I got dumber, right? You're not going to go and just like lose information, you know, it's like, Absolutely, that's right. you know, I was doing way better, you know, I, I sure <laughs> didn't know math until I went to college, you know, I sure did understand how to do all of these things. And I walked on the college campus and it all, you know, disappeared. Well, that doesn't happen. Right. And so the, the value of what we're saying, the college education at Houston Tillerson is very unique uh, because our value is in promoting innovation. And how do we get students who are interested in not being in the cookie cutter space where we put this major on you and you get to zip it up and it's one size fits all. It is how do you come here, innovate, create, and develop your own path? And that's what excites us about where our students see the value of having their own identity in what college looks like for them. Absolutely. And so where do you find your students? Are most of them from an hour and a half drive of campus? Are they in state? You know, is it a mix? Yeah, it's it's a great mix. Uh, we have a strong foothold in Texas. I mean, but Texas is the large. I mean, it's it's kind of biased because we are the largest state <laughs> on, on the planet, probably. But but, you know, so that is, a you know, it is difficult to say. So, yes, the majority of our students come from Texas because it's Texas. Right. Um, everything's bigger in Texas. But uh, we have a strong mix of students from all over. And um you know, international students, you know, now that the world is reopening, our international student uh, pool is picking back up. So that's looking even brighter, but um, but mostly Texas. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, how do you define student success? Well, here I go again. I define student success as um, where students see themselves in four or five years. That's 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 the goal. It is deciding, having conversations on the front end with students to determine their trajectory. That could be certificate programs. That's student success. Uh, it could be a four-year degree. It could be them coming back to be retooled into the marketplace. Uh, that is what student success is for me. Um, because when students come into the infrastructure of higher education, uh, they then decide for themselves what they want to get out of it. And then we put, as a college and university, we put those pieces into place to help be the guide rails, uh, if you will, to help them reach their said goal. So for us, student success is, you know, students getting certifications, students getting uh, college degrees, people retooling, and of course, um, students coming out with the soft skills required uh, that are not only just within their degree or said major certification, but that they have the soft skills that are required to be great people. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, I hear that oftentimes from, from presidents, you know, and I think on campus in general, you know, soft skills and salespeople, I think used to be kind of a dirty word, you know, but I, I hear how, I mean, it is so essential in today's working environment, soft skills. So can you talk about just the importance of relationships you know, while students are on campus and just taking advantage of alumni and faculty and the president and the resources while you, while you have them. Yeah. And it's the benefit of being at a small liberal arts college because you have the access to communicate with your faculty to get the note to get to know them on a deeper level, to connect with your peers in ways that are just not. You know, where you're in a class of 300 and, you know, you, you see the person that's sitting right next to you and then it's it's over. Right. So I think the connectivity is imperative because um, it gives students that deeper relationship that is important. It also helps them build those relationships and learn how to build those relationships, because being in a small knit institution, um, you you get to know everybody. Right. You get to know everybody. You get to be connected. You get to know people's strengths and weaknesses. You know, you get to learn how to interact, how not to interact with people. Um, and it, it really gives you the um, the cultural obtuse, if you will, to be able to go into the workforce and and, and jump right in and, and be likable so that people are able to connect with you and you can communicate effectively to be able to be successful in the workplace. And so now, did you plan to be a university president? No. So when dressing up in the fifth grade for what do you want to be in the future, it was I was not dressed up as university president. <laughs> I did not come to school as dressed as the university president. No. Uh, who knows? I went from being a corporate mogul to whatever else. Right. So. So, no, that was not the original path for me. Um, 
you know, I'm not sure anybody that's um, in high school may think to themselves that they want to be a university president. <laughs> it's one of those obscure jobs, right? So, um, but no, I, I didn't. I, I really got the passion after watching the um, the phenomenal work of so many great leaders like Cassie Freeman and um, others who I could name who have just really done some great work, uh, been really smart about moving higher education uh, into a place where uh, people can learn and grow and and develop. So uh, what was your dissertation about? Oh, OK. So phenomenal question. <laughs> Uh, it's called The Road Less Traveled, How Students from Rural Locations Choose College. And that was so impactful for me, um, and, and that's my research still today, to better understand how students, because if you look at the, uh, if you look at a map of America, uh, the majority of America, I mean, it's rural. It is yeah. rural locations. I mean, you know, you take Texas, you have, yes, you have your major cities, but at all points in between, there are small towns that are thriving and people are there. And how do those students decide and pick and choose uh, where they go to achieve higher education? Well, what's interesting, the approach of my dissertation looked at students and how they were choosing college and not why they weren't going. Uh, we can always look at the barriers of, well, technology is not as strong in rural locations and they don't have and this is lacking and that is lacking. But if you weed through all of that, there are so many success stories of students who, who are from small towns who have chosen certain colleges for various reasons and being in the collegiate environment, it's important for us to know how that information gets disseminated. And uh, one story that struck uh, me very, just is still very deeply is a student who selected her college um, from a book in her counselor's office. She had never been to the college. She had never been outside of her local town and was going, had completed all of the paperwork and the very first time that she would leave the um, maybe 40 minute radius of her small town would be um, her first day of college when she chose the university that she chose. And that was, I mean, I thought to my time when my parents took me on college tours and you know, I got to visit different places because I lived in a metropolitan city and I grew up passing by several colleges that were in my city. I went to events and activities that were hosted, even a play that was on the campus of LSU. So I, you know, would, oh, they had a play. We, you know, my family would go or uh, visit Southern University because they had a musical or a football game. And so I was exposed to these universities simply by way of having access to the local, just them being in my local area. Well, many students don't even have that access of saying I have at least stepped foot on a college campus because I live in this vicinity, whereas many students don't. Yeah, absolutely. So how do these students find out about different universities? <gasps> 
Yeah, I mean, and so now, you know, okay, so um, maybe this may tell my age. So <laughs> I wrote my dissertation in 2007. So, and, and graduated. I don't, even, I don't even want to tell you when I graduated college now. So. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, um, now I think it is much, you know, easier. There are virtual tours. There are, you know, opportunities where, you know, programs bring students on campus to to visit. But still, there are disparities with students in rural locations where they just don't have the access to actually put their feet on the ground and walk the campus and visit with people and sit and talk across the way and say, you know, tell me more about what this institution can do for me. They are relying on the Internet, phone conversations and Google Maps to be able to navigate this college going experience. Well, and I know on our platform, we have over 40% that are first generation students. So how do those first generation students find out about, about different colleges and universities and choices, but also that, hey, getting a, de a degree could be a great opportunity for you. Absolutely, yeah, and, and that is always the challenge because, um, you know, school counselors, well, Let's drill down a little bit more. In rural schools, a lot of times um, they don't have the adequate staffing that a, a school in a in a city in a metropolitan city would have. So that means in one of my research studies, uh, there were about four high schools that shared a counselor, and the mm -hmm. counselor would travel to each school every day. And so you would only have an opportunity to engage with the counselor maybe once a week. And that counselor was also dealing with mental health challenges or behavioral issues or paperwork that needed to be done for the institution. Did that counselor have time to sit down and talk to one of the high performing students and say, let's talk about where you see yourself going to college. Well, oftentimes, and in full disclosure of some of those counselors, they just didn't have the time to be able to talk to students about the next steps. They would say, listen, here's a couple of books <laughs> and, you know, here's some websites. I think. Good luck. Tillison yeah. will be a great place. My, I went there. It was good. It was great. Good luck. Right. And so they are left to their own devices. And so you think about it, and to your point, yeah, first generation students that don't have parents that could at least give them some information. But even for parents who did go to college, it may have been 20 years before they had stepped foot, you know, so yeah, what to yeah. do, how to navigate, it is still fuzzy. I'm a college president and I still can't tell you how to navigate the, you know, our missions application. That's not what I do on a daily basis. So it takes a specialized person to be able to help a student navigate those, the FAFSA, the admissions applications, you know, doing a housing um, application, you know, all of these things that have to yeah. happen just for you to get in the door. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, if I were to ask you the first step that you would take in learning about 
Emotional intelligence development. What's the first, what's, what's one of the first things you do? Because oh, now, wow. you're, now you're a national spokesperson around that. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I'm a national sp- spokesperson for emotional intelligence development. And, and, and what is also a very serendipitous uh, point of how I'm here at Houston Tillerson, uh, that is also our quality enhancement plan. It was already that before I got here. So it was just ordained that I am supposed to be in this space and time. Uh, to know that it is important for us to not only develop people through their majors and them deciding, hey, I want to be an accountant and I want to get that accounting degree, but also to say that we want to develop you from the inside out. We want you to be, we want you to have the emotional intelligence enough to know how to read the room, how to have tough conversations without crumbling how to communicate effectively, how to resolve conflict, how to navigate time. These are things that make the difference. And we we see it every day. We know the difference between our experience going to Chick-fil-A and our experience going to other restaurants where I won't name yeah. some of them, but we some of them popped in our mind. But the Chick-fil-A experience, the Disney experience, when you go, you have a... It, it is where you feel valued and welcomed. Well, that is trained. That is taught. That is those companies deciding that, hey, we want to build people up from the inside out so that our customer service is phenomenal and that when people come through our doors that they will feel extra special. Well, I just firmly believe that that comes from people being um, having a strong sense of emotional intelligence. So if you want to start I would say start taking courses in soft skills. Uh, one of the companies that we partner with here at Houston Tillerson is a Success Training Institute. And I encourage everybody to go and take courses because you can take lessons online in segments of eight minutes or less. And you can take courses in team building, time management, stress management, uh, facing adversities and th- facing adversity. And these are traits that every employer, every person, every husband, every wife, every friend will say, why do I like Bradley? It's because he listens to me. He understands when I'm down or he lifts me up. I mean, th- those are the thing. That's the reason why we our friends like us, because we can connect with them. Right. And and so the, the more we strengthen those approaches in our everyday lives and with people that we come across every day at, on the job and at work and in our personal lives, it just it really strengthens one who we are as a person, but also it strengthens our country. Oh, absolutely. So is uh, is higher education leadership foundation? Is that still around? Do you still play a role? Yes, it's still around. It's alive and kicking. The Higher Education Leadership Foundation is, uh, I'm the co-founder of that organization. And we started in 2015, 2014, uh, just bringing uh, groups of individuals together who are in the higher education HBCU community who aspire to be leaders in those institutions. And what we realized in founding the organization, it was founded by myself, uh, the president of Wiley College, uh, Herman Felton, 
uh, the president of Wilberforce, um, Alfred Anthony Pinkard, and um, also uh, the president of Clark Atlanta was also one of the uh, founders, uh, George French. And what we realized is that everybody is not going to sit at the helm of an institution as president, but we all need great institutions that have leaders in every seat of the organization. We need phenomenal CFOs. We need great student affairs um, officers. We need phenomenal people who are working in institutional advancement. We need leaders at all ranks of the institution. And how do we build that up? That comes from us building leadership from the inside and helping people get the tools that they need to be able to work and thrive in our nation's HBCU. So it's still around. Uh, to date, we've trained over 450 uh, HBCU leaders across the country. And uh, we have a leadership institute twice a year. Um, and uh, the, our next institute will be in December where we will bring in a new class of individuals who uh, most of whom work in um, higher education, but um, they are lovers, supporters of our nation's HBCUs. So it is still around. It is kicking and thriving. And uh, now it is to a place. Un unfortunately, we can't take everybody uh, because we get applications and we have a waiting list. So it 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 is. It's growing, um, but but we appreciate having the small number so that we can um, really delve in on the leadership traits that are required and necessary that we feel that you need to be a good leader in, in the higher education, especially in the higher education space, especially at HBCUs. We're thankful to have a group of um, uh, HBCU collegiate faculty who come and they share and they teach uh, with us, alongside of us, to make uh, this experience worthwhile. So it's not only uh, networking with other HBCU leaders across the country that are in different institutions, but it's also connecting with those various presidents to um, build networks and uh, mentorship. What a great opportunity. I mean, my goodness, what a, what a great platform, you know, to be able to offer, because that I mean, that's very distinctive to be able to have, you know, a venue like that where you can bring all of these different resources and these people together and this expertise, this thought leadership. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been really fun. And to see the work because, you know, we started and we're saying, oh, this is great. You know, we'll bring leaders together and it'll be nice and we'll gather ourselves and we'll we'll do some great work. And now it is it just has gone beyond that because what happens is in each cohort, you may have the vice president for student affairs at Grambling State University and a director of institutional advancement at, you know, Clark Atlanta, right? I mean, you have two different worlds no. colliding. And so those two institutions are now connected and now, those two people then decide, you know what, we should write a grant together and we should do this and let's get our universities to connect and collaborate. I'll give you one um, very cool example. Last year, we hosted our very first ideation summit. It mm. happened in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we brought HBCU leaders from all over the country to come in and talk about the future of HBCUs. 
Well, we had one of our funders to say, listen, while we are here at this conference, we are going to award a, I think it was a $20,000 grant to any group that decides to write about something that they really want to do at their institution. You can partner with other institutions. You can do it on your own. Well, one group got together and it was five institutions from across the country that wrote a grant together while at a conference. Wow. And one. So each of each school got five. And now that group, those five universities are partnering together on emotional intelligence development and mental health. And they're having Zoom calls. They're saying, hey, what are you doing? Tell me more about what you're doing. Let's pull our resources together to support our students. It was incredible. It was incredible. I mean, that is great. Talk about action in motion, you know, things that are yeah. happening right there. You know, it's not talking the talk. It's, I mean, literally walking the walk. Now, okay, if you can write a grant now, um, use the time, pull yourselves together. And they did. And they, they were one of the winners. There were other winners, but that one really stood out to me because it was five institutions that said, Let's let's get together and do this while we're at a conference for three days. Wow, that is great. That is to me, that is so unique, so distinctive. You know, that is that is really great. Um, so now where do you see Houston Tillotson? Where do you see the institution in five years? Well, um, I think in five years, you can definitely bet that our infrastructure, that's that's really one of our main goals now is an infrastructure um, is an infrastructure build. We are in, um, as you know, we're in the city of Austin. We're in downtown Austin and we have every tech company surrounding us. And with that in mind, it means that we have to maintain probably even higher than many other institutions a level of preparedness as it relates to students having the technology at their fingertips to be able to do the work that uh, that is the demand of being in a tech town like Austin, Texas. So that is where we're always having to rebrand, refresh, reconfigure, if you will, um, to ensure that our infrastructure is up to par. And and so we are in a re infrastructure rebuild to make sure that we have the, you know, all of the necessary tools and bells and whistles to be able to respond to the demands of the workforce. Um, of course, new degree programs and certification programs are on deck. Uh, we are pushing toward more online programs that are um, uh, programs that are fast, where students don't have to spend four years hanging out with us to get a degree or get a certification. We're trying to move them through the pipeline a little bit faster, uh, especially for some of our advanced degrees. So we're looking at advanced degrees that are expedited. We have a program now that is our MBA program that's one year. It is 365 days, you're done. So that is phenomenal. We want to we want to double down on that and, and, and do more programs that can get students through the pipeline even faster. And of course, moving the institution, uh, my my mantra, if you will, is moving us from first to foremost. Uh, we were first in the city of Austin. We were the first 
uh, University of Higher Learning in the city of Austin. And now we are moving ourselves to be the foremost institution. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, Dr. Melba Williams, I feel like I could talk to you all day. So yeah, let's you. do it. Thank you so much for, for all your time. I, I appreciate it. This has been wonderful. Oh, I'm. this has been an honor. I, I've just enjoyed connecting with you and, and, you know, hopefully we can do it again. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.